it's hard to believe it, but uh, we are almost done with the book. I probably will have maybe three or more, three or four more times in this book. We'll finish, but um, uh, may we get to continue to heed uh, the teaching of this book as as God's word. Um, and I hope that it's been helpful for you as you walk with the Lord. So again, today's passage is Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. I'll read it for us. I'll pray, and let's go right into the time of sermon together. Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. For sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which, is, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That is God's word. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are here to worship you. God, you are God and we are not, and that is a very good thing. We um, go out of control and uh, we can be going up and down depending on situations and circumstances. But because you are God who is constant, who is so mighty and powerful, who is omniscient, who, who is sovereign over everything, we come to you to worship you and depend on you. Oh Lord, teach us more of you through this time. God, help me to be humbly communicating your word. Prepare my heart even right now so I can worship with my brothers and sisters here. May your voice be heard. May your spirit work powerfully through this. Thank you, Lord, for loving us this way. I pray in Jesus. Amen. Let us go right into uh, the word together. Uh, three points, as usual, just to help you follow along. Uh, the point, three points are the holy status and the holy warning, and lastly, the holy lights. 
And the title for this message is The Holy Calling of God's People in the World. The first point, the holy status. Look with me to verse 3. It says, Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There are the three terms you see there, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness are uh, general terms. Uh, I think, I believe Paul is not trying to specify uh, different sins here, but he's trying to just uh, generally describe sinful desires and deeds. And then verse 4, he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead that there be thanksgiving. So here, uh, again, another three words, uh, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Now they describe sinful speech. And they correspond to the the list in verse 3 because our words and speech come from and reflect what's in our hearts. So Paul here is exhorting that the sinful desires, behaviors, and words, so sinful lifestyles, must not exist in the church of Ephesus and the church of Christ in general. And here, what we need to focus on in this passage, in this portion, is what is the basis for Paul's exhortation. In verse 3, Paul said, these sins must not even be mentioned or named. It says, as is proper among saints. The word saints literally means holy ones, uh, which can also mean set-apart ones. Uh, So the Ephesians are basically exhorted to avoid sinning uh, because they are holy ones and sinful lifestyles do not fit them anymore. You are holy, so do not live like that anymore. That's Paul's argument. And this is so important. I mean, we've visited this idea uh, quite a few times in this book so far, but still very important to emphasize over and over that for Christians, well, first of all, the Bible is not just a book of do's and don'ts. Christians don't just do the right things and try to avoid sins just because you know, they want to be moral. Or, even worse, they're not trying to do these things so that they can be accepted and become holy. Rather, it's the opposite. God has already made them holy through Jesus Christ. When believers believe in Jesus Christ, his righteousness and his holiness are imputed to the believers. And because of this so-called justification, The people are already holy ones in the sight of God. And now Paul is saying, live like that. Live like holy people. Live like who you already are. And as they live such lives, what can also happen, what will also happen, is that uh, they get to display and represent God, who God is, to the world. We see that in Leviticus 19.2, which says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. We represent God to the world as we 
uh, strive to be holy. Um, the movie Tangled will be a feature film in this message. Um, Rapunzel uh, from the movie is a royal, right? She's kind of trying out the crown that is hers, but she doesn't know at this point of the movie. Uh, she was a princess. She was born princess. But her evil stepmom, uh, you know, constantly tells her lies, and you know, she gaslights her basically. You know, like, oh, you know, you cannot go outside, and on and on. So Rapunzel in the movie, uh, she lives like a slave, uh, not like a princess. You know, she sweeps the floor, she cooks for her stepmom, and do all those chores. And that's a pity. And it's like that if believers who are already made holy and made royal, in fact, as God's children, if they find themselves listening to the lies of Satan, and if they find themselves, uh, you know, living like slaves to simple lifestyle, and that is pity, just like we see in Rapunzel. But unlike Rapunzel, the Bible says, you know, Rapunzel was helpless in the tower. The Bible says when Jesus makes believers his holy ones, he also gives them power, resurrection power, to overcome the slavery of sin. So the holy ones uh, that God made in the church, you know, they're able now to start living like who they are, the holy ones. So therefore, Paul is exhorting, guys, stop these you know, sins that are destroying you, but live holy lives. Because that's who you are, and you are able to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The holy, um, holy status, um, that's where Paul starts his exhortation. And now, second, the holy warning. Now Paul goes further and gives us a more severe reason for us to fight our sins. So look with me to verse 5. It says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, uh, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Uh, please notice first that these three terms, again, uh, correspond to the three terms from verse 3. So these are, again, the sexually immoral, impure, uh, covetous people. Uh, so Paul is again generalizing the sinful lifestyles here. And Paul is saying here that those who continue in these uh, sins uh, do not have an inheritance in the kingdom. And that basically means that uh, those who continue in these sins have no salvation. That's what it means. And Paul will reiterate that in the next verse. So look with me. In verse 6, it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So again, Paul is saying, you know, those who continue in their sins will face God's wrath, God's righteous wrath on the judgment day. So here you see Paul is giving a strong warning to the people of God. And now, if you've been following what Paul has been saying in the book of, uh, book of Ephesians, uh, you may find this 
contradictory at first. Because, for example, back in uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul said this. He said, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there's, there's a promise that believers has absolute security over their inheritance in the kingdom, meaning believers will never lose their salvation. So then back to our current passage. When Paul warns them of the judgment as a result of their sin, he must mean that true believers will heed his warning, the warning of uh, the scriptures and God, and that they will turn away from sin. Whereas those whose faith was not genuine will ignore the warning, and they will continue in their sins, and they will face God's wrath. You know, in other words, for believers, you know, God's warning is a gift. It's a gift of love that God gives believers so that they can be put back on track and receive the promised gift of salvation. Let me just share this with you quick, quickly. Uh, I think it will be helpful for us to understand uh, if, uh, through uh, Jonathan Edwards. He's a theologian, uh, probably, probably the greatest theologian that America has ever produced. Uh, he explained something about this. I think, again, it will be helpful for us to uh, understand what he's saying here. So Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote an essay based on uh, 1 John 4.18, which says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What he's saying, uh, what Edwards explains based on this passage is this, that when our love for God, when our spiritual life suffers or grows cold, that we're not doing well spiritually, God uses fear. He brings fear of judgment into our hearts you know, to restrain us from sin, to warn us, and to make us more vigilant. You see, the fear and love, they're like, you know, they have inverse relationship. So God brings fear to the believers so that the love will grow. But that's not it. As Christians grow, what's going to happen according to Scripture is that there will be no more fear because you have been perfected in love, meaning you're just so convicted and convinced of God's love for you. But from there on, you know you're not going to be judged anymore. You are assured of your salvation. And now, but you still fight your sin, not because you fear, but because you love God, want to please God. The love becomes everything. But again, until you get there, God brings fear of judgment in order to bring you back track. And again, therefore, fear and, and warning like this passage is God's love for us. And I believe Paul is giving us this rather harsh warning um, so that, and he's hoping that people would take it to heart and that they would repent and their love and assurance will grow. 
gift of love. It's hard to believe it's, that this is almost 10 years ago, but um, you know, I was living in Chicago at the time, and uh, you know, Deb and I were still dating at the time. And uh, uh, this one year, a preacher named Francis Chan uh, came to a, a local church in, in Chicago, and he spoke there. And that night, you know, Deb was at the church in person, you know, listening to the sermon, uh, but I couldn't make it in person because I was. Uh, busy at the time, and that was really blessed by uh, the sermon. So, you know, after the service, she, you know, strongly urged me to uh, watch the recording of the service and the sermon on YouTube. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch it when I have time. Uh, but on a random night, I decided to watch it. And the next thing I know, I was bawling on the floor, and I was just pounding my chest. The sermon was essentially a rebuke to lukewarm faith. And he was challenging Christians to take the Bible literally and live it out. And while I was listening to it, I really, literally felt like I was poking at every part of my life that was lukewarm towards him. And I was crying in grief. I was just so in anguish that I was not on fire for God. And, uh, and I genuinely repented of my lack of love for God. And, uh, and that was a great moment uh, in my spiritual journey. And then I wrote this email to Deb just to kind of express my um, emotion at the time. And I found it on, on Gmail, thanks to Gmail's technology. And I said, just finished the video. I was so tired, I was going to watch it later. But once I started watching, I couldn't stop. The video totally destroyed, destroyed me in the positive way possible. You know, God rebuked in every possible way. I want to live for Christ. And from that I know that God loves me. So much so that he brought me the, the warning and fear at the time through the word and uh, you know, brought me back to where I should be in my walk with God. God loves you too. And what that means is he will bring you know, warnings like today's passage or through your Bible reading or whatever else way in order to bring you back to God. It's because for genuine believers, repentance of their sins must be a habit, daily habit. It's not just something that we do at a revival meeting. It has to be a daily walk. Because through that, you become closer to God. You become intimate with Him. And just to hit this point, um, I know for some of us, I've met and counseled many people who, for them, repentance is hard because for whatever reason, many, many of them, because of their family background, um, you know, when they mess things up, they just, it's really hard for them to admit they're wrong and just want to escape. So that when you hear to repent, it may sound like, you know, the Bible is trying to make you feel guilty. But let me assure you that repentance is the opposite of that. Repentance is about feeling the freedom from your sins, feeling the freedom 
to live for God. I want you to experience that. It's not about making you feel guilty. It's about going beyond that. So with that in mind, how would you respond to Paul's warning here? And I love how Paul adds an you know, extra exp- explanation for the word covetous in verse 5, uh, you know, saying it's idolatry. Uh, there's a parallel passage in Colossians 3, uh, just for information. And the word covetous is actually probably better translated greedy. You know, covetous means, you know, just being jealous of other people's possessions. But I think the word is more about, you know, having that greedy heart of wanting more and more. And that describes sin very well. You know, sin is having a desire for more and more things for yourself so that you will be elevated to uh, God's status. And it is idolatry, not only because you're worshiping yourself when you do that, but also you start worshiping other things, everything and anything out there, as long as they bring you glory. That's what idolatry is. That's what sin is. And if you get that, I think it's easier for you to, it's, it's really helpful for you to, you know, go deeper into your hearts when, when you hear these warnings or, you know, uh, exhortation to repent. Uh, because sometimes we think that sin is all about external things, but it's really about the heart. It's about anything, any desire in us that wants to elevate us to God. So let me list some things here. These are good things, but can be abused for our benefit, for our glory as an idolatry. For some of us, it can be our career goal that can be our idol, glorify us. It can be relationships. For some of us, it can be praise and recognition from other people. It can be certain hobbies. Uh, And from there, you know, some of us struggle with bitterness and anger, gossiping and slandering. Whenever other people do not, or other people get in the way of honoring me. These are sins. And it really requires us to go deeper into our hearts. And I believe that's what God wants us to do whenever we encounter passages like this. Believers are to live holy lives by taking God's warning and their sins seriously. The holy warning. And lastly, the holy lights. Now Paul will give us one more reason for holy lives, why they should live holy lives. And we'll see that it has a global implication. It's not just about us getting better spiritually, but it has outreaching implication. Look with me. Follow with me here. Uh, Verses 7 and 8, it says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So Paul is bringing in another analogy or another metaphor for why the Ephesians have to fight their sins. And that is because before they became believers, they were darkness. Spiritually, they were dead in their sins, as we saw in previous passages. But once they believed in Jesus, you know, because they are united with Christ, who is a perfect light, and now believers themselves are light. 
And once they have become enlightened like that, they cannot, they can no longer live in darkness of sin anymore. And verse 11, Paul continues, says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I believe what he's trying to say here is that if we live as light, we are bound to influence other people around us. So here, uh, when it says, you know, expose, so do not live the life of darkness, but expose the unfruitful works of darkness. I think when he says that in context, I don't think, you know, Paul is saying that we have to be moral police, that we have to call out every sin in this world and become, you know, nuisance, basically. I don't think that that's uh, what he's saying here. But rather, I think what he's trying to say is that, you know, as you live the holy life, as you try to fight your sins, as you try to walk, walk in a holy life, um, you know, that will uh, influence other people, that people will see that, and there will be natural contrast between your holiness and the unholiness and the darkness spiritual darkness of people around you. And the unbelieving neighbors, you know, will see for themselves because of our example, um, you know, that, that their hearts are indeed depraved and that, you know, they're helpless apart from the grace of God. And I think that's what exposure means. You know, naturally, as we live our you know, holy lives, you know, it will, um, you know, make a distinction and expose what's, the true depravity is, the true nature of sin is. And, and we end with this, these two verses here. It says, verses 13 and 14, it says, For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is a really beautiful thing to follow with me. I think what it's saying is that the people of light, when the people who are enlightened by Christ, when they live the lightful life in their lives, the people of darkness will be in the realm of light because of us. And as they stay near our light, you know, again, it will de- expose their depravity. But as they, as they continue to acquaint our light, you know, they will draw near to the light and they will start absorbing some of our light and eventually, you know, they may fully accept the light by putting their trust in Christ themselves and they, in turn, become lights like us. And that's why Paul, uh, God, you know, the, the last sentence, um, it, it's a quotation from Old Testament, when he says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's God's call to unbelievers. Arise from your spiritual slumber. I'll raise you up from your spiritual deadness. And Christ's light will shine on you. You will be Christ's light. And what's amazing is that God does that operation through the lights of Christians. God uses the, the lights, the reflected lights of Christians uh, in order to reach the unbelievers and um, you know, bring them to the light as well.
let me go back to our feature film, uh, Tangled. Uh, you know, in the movie, you know, the central theme, it, uh, hopefully you saw the movie, um, but uh, otherwise it probably won't make sense. But the central theme is the sky lantern, okay? It's you know, um, a lot of lanterns and, you know, it just lights in the sky and that's the central theme of the movie. And Rapunzel, the, the main character of the movie, you know, again, she's imprisoned in the tower. And, but through the, the window, she sees these, you know, uh, sky lanterns lighting up the sky on, you know, every year of her birthday for odd reason, right? She didn't know back then why. And, and she would look at, you know, these beautiful lights and she would be just obsessed with these lights and she really wants to go closer to these lights. And she finally, again, you know, uh, although her evil stepmom, you know, would try to stop her, but she finally escapes, and she goes to um, very close to the, the these lights on a lake, on a pond, the next light, and there her and, you know, her love sing this song together. And um, I thought about singing it, but I will not. Uh, but these are main lines here. Uh, it says, again, he's just thinking about the light, right, that she's been seeing from afar, but she's finally close to the light. And she says, and at last I see the light. And it's like the fog has lifted. And it's warm. And it's real. And it's bright. What's interesting is that what she didn't know at the time is that uh, these lanterns, you know, every year were organized by her real parents, the, the king and the queen of the land, uh, because the evil stepmom had kidnapped her when she was a baby, and, and they would, you know, light up these lanterns with the people of the land uh, with the hope that the Rapunzel will see that and that she will come back home. And, and what's, what's beautiful at the end of the movie is that it worked. And the light of the lanterns essentially brought Rapunzel home. And I think it's like that with the, the story of salvation. You know, God, the Father of all, the Creator God, has longed for His lost children to come back, the sinners to come back home. And God has been using believers as sky lanterns to light up the dark sky, you know, so that the lost sinners can see the beauty of God in the believers. And you know, as these sinners at last see the light up close in the life of believers, you know, they will feel like the fog has lifted. You know, they will feel the warmth, you know, realness and brightness of you know, God's love for them and their hearts are exposed in that sense. And they can, by God's Spirit, put their faith in Christ. And again, they also can become these sky lanterns for other people once they become like themselves. And that's the beauty of Christianity, that God is making us lights for Christ, and other people can become lights, and we can continue to spread this light in the dark world. So my question to 
to us as, as we close is this. question is, how could you uh, be Christ-like in your context? How can you be you know, the faithful lights that God is calling you to be in your context? In my context, I thought about this, and the way I apply this to my life is that in my context, there are uh, many you know, unbelieving uh, next-door neighbors, and uh, Deb and I, you know, our family moved to our neighborhood and our current house three years ago, and uh, you know, we got to build some close relationships with uh, many of our neighbors, and in particular, uh, two families uh, in our neighborhood, uh, you know, they trust us enough that they, you know, uh, ask us to do things, and you know, we even sometimes have conversations uh, that are pretty deep and you know, spiritual. And I, I really long to be a light to them uh, through these relationships and conversations. And also, in, in a few weeks, uh, Deb and I will be attending a wedding of some friends uh, that we have been trying to minister to. So that's a prayer request that you would pray for us so that it will be a light and blessing uh, to these friends. Uh, I really appreciate your, your prayers for that. So for you, um, for your context, how this look? Um, you know, it could be at your work, at your school, class, family, friends. I don't know which, whichever context you, you think of right now. And I'm pretty sure, you know, some of your contexts can be very difficult. Uh, there's no denial, denial there. So again, my question that we can wrestle with is, you know, how can we be faithful as lights to this context and people that God has entrusted to us to be um, the witnesses to them as the lights to Christ? And... Before I close, I do want to acknowledge too, um, and I do want to exclude you if you are joining our church right now um, as non-believers, and I'm so thankful that you're here. And my hope and prayer is that uh, you will find that light, you will feel the light in our church, even in our fellowship with one another, that you will feel you know, God's warmth um, in our teachings and relationships. And my hope, true hope and prayer is that you will also find this line and become this line. Pray together. Spend some time um, to process God's word uh, in our hearts. It can be a difficult passage for some of us, uh, I think. But you know, as we you know go through God's word, um, we really want to preach the whole counsel of God. And I believe that this passage, uh, as we you know go through and try to finish Ephesians in the upcoming weeks, I think God wants us to hear this message and hear this passage. Let's wrestle with it together. 
God of love. God of love. He made us all He wants, though we don't deserve it. But God calls us holy because of our union with Christ. And He even brings warning in love so that we will be alerted and wake up from spiritual slumber and come back to the intimacy with God. And as we do that, the promise is that God will use us, use our effort to be holy, to save souls. So let's come to God together. Come to the light of the world. May, may He expose our hearts right now. God, between you and me, Lord, you know these areas of my life that are not pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, thank you that you are not a God who, who shames me over my failures, but who embraces me and covers me just as he covered Adam and Eve with the animal skin over their beautiful fig, fig tree leaves. Let's come to God, restored and grow holiness, grow to be like him. Pray together and let's uh, sing a song together afterwards. Let's bless you with God together. Let's respond in prayer together. Um, repentance is possible because God is God of grace. Always think of Luke 15, you know, the story of prodigal son. God is a God, God is a Father who is so waiting looking at the horizon you know, trying to see whether his son is coming back so thankful that that's who God is as we just lay our hearts bare before God uh, I also want to ask that you would just pray for um, humility too I think I just want to uh, add that we hear about it being lights in the world. Um, I'm growing to be convicted that without humility, um, you know, we can easily fall prey to um, do more damage in some ways. But if we truly know that we're hell deserving, deserving sinners, there's no difference between us and the world. By God's grace, He saved us. How can we ever be you know, prideful or feel um, better than the people that we're trying to love? Um, I really think over the years, I'm really convicted that humility is mark of uh, God's grace, mark of true believers. So let's pray that our hearts may truly really become more like Christ uh, was so humble that you know, he left his throne washed our feet 
and died on the cross. So let's come to God and just quickly wrestle with God in prayer, and then I'll, I'll close close for us in prayer. But uh, let's continue. Spend some time with God before we finish. Heavenly Father, um, God, we come to you, um, just trusting your embrace towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you will not let us go. That you will pursue after us through your word. Thank you, Lord. So, through your spirit, God, may we respond in humility and repentance restoration. God, you know each one of our hearts here in this room and also those are joining through the live stream wherever they are God all our hearts are open before you so God meet us where we are if there's anything that's hindering us from coming to you in honesty help us there but, but God I, I want to lift up our church um, we know from history that revival always happened when people were repenting and coming before you humbly. I pray that you would bless our church enough to uh, enable us to uh, be praying church, repenting church, humble church, so we can uh, truly experience your intimacy with us and uh, be a blessing to one another and reach the world uh, with the, the gospel of light. Help us, God. All glory to you because salvation belongs to you and we're thankful that your grace is grand in our lives. 